Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. This is Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger, the podcast where we take a long, hard look back at some of our favorite action movies from the era of Arnold. Schwarzenegger is the icon of the genre, and we're taking a deep dive into some of these 80s and 90s cult action movies, and we're breaking them all the way down. We're going to get into the nitty-gritty and examine the good, the bad, the ugly, and the laughable in these movies. But we're always coming from a place of love. You don't watch these movies as much as we have unless you have a genuine affection for them. It's Kevin and John here, hey and guys. we're joined by Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger founding member That's Mike. Right. Howdy, what's the up? Original, buddy? the best. OG, right. glad to be back. <laughs> Man, thanks for being with us. Oh no problem. This is exciting uh, to have Mike back in it the is, saddle. It's great to have yeah. Mike here. It's great to be talking about one of my favorite movies. Like from my childhood, I can. All right, I'll yeah. just I'll just go ahead and say that, and I think I've said this before on the podcast, that this is maybe the first movie that I remember seeing in the theater ever. Oh wow, that's awesome! And wow. I remember being pissed when Mick Dundee never pulled the buildings apart like he did <laughs> on, the, on the movie poster. You thought he was going to get huge because I was. Point? You think I was going to be Crocodile Rampage? Because I was four years old and stupid as shit. <laughs> I definitely didn't see this in the theater. I was like, my parents were not taking me to see anything that was adult right. entertainment yeah. at that time. So I was actually 15 when the movie came out, so I'm a little older than you guys. Hey. So yeah. Did you see it in the theater? I don't, so I didn't see it in the theaters, uh, it is, although it is PG-13, but I probably saw it HBO. Like, I went over to my right. cousin's house or something like that. That's right. the only I remember seeing it. Um, I remember being, like, awestruck by the movie. Yeah. Um, I knew who Paul Hogan was before any of this stuff came out. You were right? a Paul Hogan hipster. Yeah, so I used to watch uh, the Paul Hogan show as a kid. I used to watch it on wherever it came on, like the public broadcasting yeah. in North Carolina. And I used to watch the show and just thought it was hilarious. It's, it was kind of like a, like a Benny Hill or a Monkey like, Python okay, or something like, like that. Okay, like a Russ Abbott show kind of vibe from yeah. it. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so, I, so I knew who Paul Hogan was before this movie came out. And I remember being like super excited. Like, oh, I know that. It's like, you know, like your best friend puts out a movie. That's like, cool. I know that guy. So... It'll be cool to see what he does as a as a as a, as a film. So, for those of you who haven't caught on yet, we are talking about <laughs> 1986's amazing Crocodile Dundee. Oh yeah, probably like as iconic of a movie as we've ever talked about on Definitely. the podcast. I don't even know if it's technically an action movie, but yeah, this is one of those movies no, that yeah. you. It's hard to talk shit about. It's not like the best movie ever made, but man, is it fun! It's sort of it's like, like an with but it's an adventure. Or, it's not like yeah. overly violent or yeah. overly like. No titties in it or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's surprisingly clean. Yeah, it's funny you say that tame. because I remember thinking this is not an action film. This is basically a love story disguised as an action film. It's like a romance adventure type it's, thing, yeah. which was a hot genre at that time. Yeah, um, yeah kind of like romancing in stone or something yeah, like exactly, that. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, 
So which uh, this came out in '86, and I yeah. think it was like the second highest grossing film of that year. Highest grossing in Top, Top Gun. Gun. Yeah, I know this movie was like hot. So I'm yeah, surprised yeah. you didn't. I'm surprised you didn't see it just because I guess everyone saw it. I, honestly, I might have seen it in the theater. I just don't remember. It's been uh, that he long. He was blackout it's, drunk at 15. It's been that long ago. I probably was. But, uh, but um, I do remember seeing it and being like, this is, it's one of those things where you're like, this is one of the best things I've ever seen, ever, yeah, right? Yeah. So uh, I'm glad you uh, asked me to do this this yeah. movie because oh, I, I have we a gave you options memories. and you jumped right on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I forget what the other movie was, but Passenger I was, 57, yeah, was which like, is also awesome. <laughs> and I like Wesley Snipes, but I mean, Blade on after, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we should talk about Paul Hogan, sure, since he's sort of like everything, right, on this movie. Yeah, the, we were just talking about how the the generational likability of this movie some 30 years later all hangs on Paul Hogan's performance. Yeah, it just, yeah. It's uh, like, uh, yeah. he is, he is, like, you hang your hat on this movie on him. Well, like, like I mentioned before, Paul Hogan had this show, The Paul Hogan Show, right? Right, right. And I feel like he got a, together with a bunch of his friends because I know that the director, Peter, I think his name is Feynman, or how you pronounce it, uh, yeah. he worked on the Paul Hogan show also. Uh -huh. So he probably had a bunch of his friends from that show and he was like, look, I have this idea, uh, let's make it into a movie. And and you guys know that this is based on like a true story, right? I felt like I read somewhere that it was based on a guy. I took yeah. notes, yeah, the guy claims that Ron at least, Ansel. although there's some similarities between it. He didn't get attacked by a crocodile or anything. Like he just got yeah, he was like lost in the wilderness for like a while. 50, he was like a bear grills like kind of guy. And then he yeah. came back yeah. out and was like, "Holy shit, mate!" Sort of had a <laughs> he got like a 15 minutes of fame type yeah, thing, yeah. right? Um, so yeah, I think he got to. I think he got together with a bunch of his friends, and he was like, "Hey, I want to make this movie based on this guy's life." And yeah. all of them were, or let's let's rip off his life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it worked, right? But um, but like, you knew who Paul Hogan was. Like, I had no knowledge of who he is before no. this movie Same. or his history, even before researching for this for this podcast. Mm -hmm. But like. He didn't just come in entertainment. He was like a construction worker type guy. Yeah, a truck oh. driver or something. He was a, it said he was a rigger. That's, he actually, yeah. he worked like painting the Sydney Harbor Bridge. What? That's awesome. And stuff. Yeah, like, which was built years and years and years before. But like, he'd do maintenance on it, I guess, and shit like that. So so he's like Harrison Ford, I, I was right? thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> Get out of my head. He, yeah, he yeah. kind of has that vibe, doesn't he? Like, yeah, 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 like yeah. I mean, he is like Australian Indiana Jones. Sure, and yeah, I think back definitely. then you could get away with that. Like, you could be like a construction worker. You know, I want I want to do movies, and so then become like an action star. I think that was easier back in the eighties. Of course, yeah. So basically, in nineteen seventy one, he's thirty two years old. He's had sort of like conned his way onto this show. It's basically like <laughs> the Australian version of America's Got Talent, mm -hmm. where the judges would like make fun of bad performance like Simon Cowell style um, and his thing was he told I guess the producers that he was a tap dancing knife thrower <laughs> and then once he got on stage he sort of just did a comedy like a stand up routine sure. making fun of the of the judges mm -hmm. and the crowd like loved that shit and first I gotta say imagine a scenario which you say you're a skilled knife thrower and they're putting you on national TV without like requiring you to perform for them <laughs> before like we're not even prove, it. One, prove it. Can you do it <laughs> once for us just so that we know bad. you're real? Yeah, uh, but I feel like Paul Hogan's the type of guy. He's just like a charming person. Oh yeah, he's right. like a uh, he can. He's got the gift of gab. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but so he parlayed that into like regular TV appearances on various shows until he got the Paul Hogan Show, which started in 1973. It was a big hit in Australia and then got really popular in South Africa and the UK. 
and Blowing popular up enough here that the, the, young, the young Mike watched it. I, I, I vividly remember watching awesome. the show. And he did like Absolutely. cigarette commercials, Foster's commercials. Which we're drinking uh, right drinking now. Drinking some Foster's mm. here in, in Solidarity. <laughs> and um, commercials for Australian tourism. Wait, like, wait, wait. No, so quick question. Was all this before? Yeah. It was before Dundee. Okay, all right. It was when the show was big-ish, sure. I guess. Sure, okay. And he was like maybe the most famous Australian. Okay. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, like, I think shrimp in the, put another shrimp on the Barbie was like, like was this a tourism campaign yeah. or something. Sure, sure. Because yeah. it was my understanding, and, I, and I'm not doubting what you're saying. It was my understanding that uh, when they made this movie, par- they made it partly because they wanted to increase Australia's visibility to the world, right? It was almost like a giant commercial for Australia, yeah. right? Um, yeah, truly. Or they wanted they, oh, they wanted to make something that was that would be commercially successful in the United States. Yeah. So I so again I don't remember any of this. Just it's coming mm-hmm. off the top of my head. But I thought all that stuff happened after. No. Well, again, I'm not no. doubting you. Um, but it's just how I remember it, right? Sure, sure, <laughs> I think, sure. Yeah. It seemed like it was to me like for the world, I guess at large. I think it was this movie, his first movie that he ever did. The eighties were a banner decade for Australian mm-hmm. films. Oh, oh, yeah, the Mad Max Mad stuff. Maxes and, yeah. yeah. Um, but this, like, obviously made him a global superstar at age 47. Is it just interesting? He's, he's fucking 83 years old now. He was yeah. 47 when he made Yeah, yeah. Dude, that, that was is some Harrison Ford shit. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. Well, man. Yeah. yeah, so. For a, for a chain smoker, he was yeah. working out. Somebody who lived in the sun, too. <laughs> <laughs> his, and his face showed it. You know, oh, yeah. the lines and everything yeah. like yeah. that. But, so, I know he was 47 when he made that. I know, man. So, directed by Peter Feynman, yep. as you mentioned, he hasn't really directed he anything also, else other than episodes of the Paul Hogan He directed show. the Thanksgiving classic Dutch with Ed O'Neill and Ethan Embry. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> Which wow. I've never seen. Oh, man, you need to cue that up. It's we good talked watching. about that shit on our Predator episode because I had this theory that all the best characters ever in films have been named Dutch. <laughs> Which is basically Hold just <laughs> that. Uh, Dutch so, from Karate Kid and then Dutch uh, Ed O'Neill. Sure. Yeah. Was Dutch in Karate Kid, is he the one to die? Yeah, the one that died in recently. No, no, that's Chad McQueen as Dutch. Oh, okay, okay. Like Steve so, McQueen. Oh, that's right. So the guy that played Dutch just didn't want to come back for the thing. Something like that. Okay. He was doing something else, or he I'm just too didn't busy. Want to? <laughs> I mean, right. I think he's got he's that Steve got McQueen money. He's probably off racing race cars and some shit. I, I mean, he does want to come back and make Karate Kid. I mean, but that's yeah, a story for another a, day. That's right. <laughs> he also produced Fern Gully: The Last Rainforest, incidentally. Oh, did Feynman did? Yeah, Peter Feynman. I mean, That's I awesome. feel like in was Hollywood... Was that an Australian production? I don't know. I thought it was like a Don Bluth movie or something. I mean, it was Fern Gully. I mean, it's Disney, got Australia written all over it. Yeah, right? it sounds it's like, like it. Fern Gully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like in Hollywood, you only really need to do have like one big hit, right? Oh. And then you're set. Then you can kind of decide what Ladies you and want. gentlemen, I present Paul Hogan. <laughs> Which I feel like is Paul... Yeah, he's like... I act, I do a something when I feel like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'll do a sequel. If I get inspired to do a project, I'll do a project. Yeah, yeah. I can respect that. He's I not, like, just looking to get as famous as he can. Because yeah, I'm absolutely. sure he passed up tons of offers. He, he did, because he apparently, after this, got tons of offers for more action-y roles. Yeah. But he turned them down saying that, the scene, meaning Hollywood, was screaming out for heroes that don't kill 75 people. And he's like, the world doesn't need more Terminators or Rambos. commandos or Rambos. He was like, mix a role model, and he's not a whimper sissy just because he doesn't kill people. Which, I was like, hey, I, yeah. I read that quote, too, and I like that. It's like, you can be a man and masculine and a strong person <clears throat> without being violent. But also, <laughs> you know, like, without so, killing people. I, I never realized that that was like, <laughs> like people thought that. Like, yeah. 
like you have to be a man. You have to kill people. In the eighties, yeah. Well, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Now. Um, like he he also count, apparently maybe. turned down the Patrick Swayze role in Ghost. I, I can't confirm that, but I read. I that. read that too, and I can't even with you know, Demi Moore. Yes, cast? and Whoopi. I can't even envision. Yeah, that. I can't see that at all. <laughs> but, but I read the same thing, so it must be true. It's on the internet. <laughs> well, we both no, read seriously, it? they cast Demi Moore, and they were like, "Let's get Paul Hogan." Can we? Do you think he was hot that? at the moment? He was a big deal. Oh, when did Ghost come out? 89? I was about to say oh, 89, I, would, I thought it came out in like 91 or it might, have, it might have been 90. Maybe Paul Hogan was still... He would have been like 50 at that point, right? Well, yeah, he would have been coming off the sequel and the success of the Subaru Outback commercials in the <laughs> 80s and 90s. The 90s and early aughts. Dude, that oh. sequel was legit. I was I, watching it earlier. I kind of want to see it now. I got like, in watch I can lend you my Blu-ray. Yeah. Do you have the sequel? Of Crocodile Indy 2? Yeah. Uh, yes, it came after. in. A, it came in. A bo- it came in both of them yes, together for like ten bucks. It's yes. dark. It's a much darker chapter like in the. In the <laughs> it is. But that's what I like. It's Temple of Doom. Crocodile Dundee in the Temple of Doom. Exactly. Um, produced by a dude named John Cornell, who was instrumental in helping Hogan get his big break. He had been a producer of a show that Hogan appeared right. on regularly, and then uh, he became Hogan's manager and business partner and a co-star on the Paul Hogan show. John Cornell died this past July, RIP. Oh, bummer. Yeah. I didn't see that. Yep. Yeah. Um, written by Hogan. Hey. Uh, <laughs> Cornell and another guy, Ken Shady, mm-hmm. who was a longtime writer on the Paul Hogan show. He never wrote another thing after this. That's crazy. It was Paul Hogan show and Crocodile Dundee and no more credits for I him mean, after that. So this movie made off of like, what, $8.8 million? Like $350 like million. All, bucks. Yeah, something yeah. like that. So do you I would like to see he too? not he had to have been getting pleased like we just want your name from the writer of Crocodile because he was Oscar nominated all of them were for the screenplay yeah but I think that again this would be like if we wrote a movie right like just a bunch of guys who are friends and we're just like you know what we really enjoy this thing right yeah. so let's write a movie about it and we do and it out of nowhere becomes like this huge success. Uh-huh. I promise if it made a billion dollars, we'd be getting offers. What else you got? We would get offers, but would we, would we want to... You say, well, that was fun. Hell <laughs> yeah, yeah. will we do I, that? or I'd want to write something else if I had ideas. But, but, but I'd you, at least want to try. You wouldn't want to write what you want to write, though. Like I, I can imagine they, they got offers, right? But they were that like, hey, be. write this Star Wars knockoff or write right. this Terminator knockoff, right? And they didn't want to do any of that, right? So, if you didn't have more original ideas. Yeah, like, yeah or just I could see that. write your own thing, then they probably could have gotten away with it. But I could see that, I think. Like how if, if – and especially if you're like, hey, I'm set for life and I just want to live a quiet life with my family. I don't need to be a whatever, touring yeah. around, doing – press junkets and sure shit, so, whatever they were doing back so in the george 80s. miller is probably a good example right like he's australian and he did mad max for the love of doing film right mm-hmm. like wasn't he a doctor first and he was like he was a doctor he yeah, was a that's doctor crazy to me, and but... he was like i want to make a movie and so he made a movie and he loved what he did but you don't think of george miller as like knocking out like like you don't think of george miller like you think of steven spielberg who's oh, hell no, knocking no. out all these movies every single well he's year, not right? a dude who has a passion project and exactly or like a James Cameron. Like, he he puts out a movie when he feels like putting out a movie. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Not like, but I just I, want to stay busy. But I also think James Cameron does it for the money. <laughs> More so than George uh, Miller. But I think he won't, like, I don't think you could say, hey, James Cameron, how much money would it take for you to do a new Superman movie? He'd say no. Nah. I think he'd say, no, I want to tell the story I want to tell. Right. Like, if, if I you'll want, pay me exorbitant sums, 
But he's also doing Avatar 2. But I think think he loves that world, and I'm not sold on these sequels. I'm not either. We'll see how that goes. It was called um, Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest. (laughs) We've already talked about it. (laughs) We already covered that. Yeah. Uh, music by Peter Best. He never did anything else that you'd be like, oh, I love that score. Uh, I never, but the, this one's a lot of Australian productions. The music yeah. in this one killed for I me. Like I it. love it. I like the uh, the integration of didgeridoo at tasteful moments. <laughs> <laughs> but he's definitely not the fifth Beatle. No. Not that no. Pete Best. Um, we should also point out DP on this movie, Russell Boyd. Um, okay. Who did? He won the Oscar for Master and Commander with Russell Crowe. Oh, Price. fuck! He also did um, a bunch of great Australian movies, okay. Gallipoli with mm. Mel Gibson. He also did Year of Living Dangerously with Mel Gibson, White Men Can't Jump, and many, many others. White Men Can't Jump is so interesting. So that guy had a career. He came right. to Hollywood and. But then there's another awesome connection to a movie we've done previously. The costume design was Norma Morriso who we've mentioned as being responsible for the awesome costumes in Road Warrior, Beyond Thunderdome, oh. Island of Dr. Moreau. So she was responsible for this movie. So so I know I'm jumping like way, way ahead. Hit but it. as you mentioned the, the costume designer, and I remember looking at some of the outfits that uh-huh. Mick In Australia? No, in New York. Okay. And I was thinking like to myself, red those are some... jacket? Yeah. yeah. I was like, those are some <laughs> nice duds this yeah, dude yeah. is wearing. Like, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy, Not like, if he's, like, this bush... Everything... He skinned his own crocodiles, don't you think? Yeah, but I was like... He tailors his own clothes. Like, I, I'm not... I, I can't believe that that didn't make, like, a like a huge fashion statement. Oh, in the 80s? Like, in the 80s, oh, where dude, people I were wearing, like, the boots and the stuff. leather pants the, and the... The snakeskin boots were, were huge. Yeah, 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 I don't yeah. know about, like, I do remember people jazz. wearing boots a lot. Yeah, I'm sure people were fucking with that stuff after but like that, the movie once came once out. once he... Walks out in the iconic knife scene. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like, that's a nice suit. All, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but with the leather jacket, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And the hat with the um, with the crocodile tooth band around it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's awesome. So, movie starred uh, Paul Hogan, we've mentioned. Who's he? <laughs> As Michael J. Crocodile Dundee, a.k.a. Mick. Yeah, he did this. The sequels, Lightning Jack, is the only thing I other thing I remember of oh, his. Oh, uh, Angel. He did a movie almost called an Angel Almost Angels. Angel. Yeah, almost Angels. Yeah. He's done a bunch of work in Australia stuff that I haven't seen. But anytime he puts something out, it's like the biggest thing that year in Australia. Sure, right. sure. And the sure. aforementioned Subaru Outback commercial. Yes, it is iconic though, uh, impressive how iconic he is over such a small body of work. Yeah, yeah. like he had that one role that's like carry. 35 years later is still sure. iconic. I mean, like, when you think of Australia, who else do you think of outside of Mel Gibson? Nicole Hemsworth Kidman, now, maybe? Hugh Jackman. Yeah, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. <laughs> Hugh Jackman. <laughs> I don't even think of Hugh Jackman as Australian. I, I don't, but... Yeah, I mean, but I'm just thinking of, like, I think Nicole Kidman's probably the most sure. famous Australian. Mm-hmm. But Naomi Watts is Australian. Hugo Weaving. What's that, <laughs> Keith Urban? None of those are from New Zealand. <laughs> They're all Australian. I uh, think they are, yeah. yeah. Uh... Yeah, that country singer. Keith Urban. Keith Urban. Random. <laughs> so random. Uh-huh. Fucking what? You can't hey, say country. But you know what? None of them, none of them would it's have Paul. made it no. without Paul Hogan. Uh, I, I probably 100% agree with you on that statement. <laughs> we, weren't like importing, we weren't importing Australians before. Oh, well, Mel Gibson came Gibson. first. Yeah. yeah. But Paul Hogan, I think, definitely paved the way. Yeah. At least that's our theory. And that's Mel Gibson, when he came over, he had to like try to lose the accent. Right. You know, That's like true. for almost everything. He's not even really Australian. Yeah, he is American. Yes. He's American. He fakes it. He's like yeah. Christian Bale's English he accent is not real. <laughs> when did Mad Max come out? 
The original one yeah. was the eighty. The first one might have been seventy nine or something. Yeah, that, yeah I think it was. So several years was eighty one. Several yeah. years before this, this movie. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. That was the biggest. Yeah, that was like the thing. I think they put Australian cinema on the map was the Mad Max stuff. But I, I think the difference between and I, I don't know if we're getting off the subject here. I think the difference between like Mad Max. There is no subject. Mike. <laughs> Go with it. Dude. The difference between Mad Max and and Crocodile Dundee is. Bat Max could have been anywhere, right? It just so happens to be in Australia. They, it's, it's a great point. Crocodile Dundee was like, they were like, this motherfucker is from Australia. Australia. Yeah. Yeah. This is Australia, motherfucker. Yeah, this, yeah. were full. Yeah. Mad Max could have happened in any country in the world. That's a great point. Or on any continent. Yeah. Um, also starring Linda Kozlowski as Sue yep. Charlton. In her first role. Introducing That's Sue. Crazy. So both the leads doing their first ever movie. And then they got married. Yeah, sometime later. Um, Got married in 1990, 90. divorced in 2013. It's a bummer. But yeah. She was like a Juilliard-trained stage actor. Um, they found her in New York, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, also starring, I don't know how to say his name, John I'm Malon? A, I'm probably Malon? Saying, yeah, Malon. He played Walter Riley, a.k.a. Wally, a.k.a. Walt. Walt. Yeah. Just pick um, a name. He was like a working Aussie actor. Easily the second best character in that film. Yeah. yeah. He never really left Australia. I mean, I only know him from this and the sequel. He this died is, just a couple of years after this, too. He died just after part two. He yeah. looked old. <laughs> now, how how old do you think he was in this movie? The guy that played Walt? Well, now, yeah, if you don't know. If, if you don't know. know. Hogan was 47, and I didn't even know that. Yeah. How old do you think uh, he had to be Wally was? 66. I would I would guess mid 50s just because of how weathered the Australian sun would oh, yeah, do true. a body. So he was 51. Oh. What? He was like a couple years older than Paul Hogan. <laughs> he was he had that cirrhotic cirrhotic liver. <laughs> he, he died young. He was 55 That's when he so died. So sad. In, uh, in 1989. Rest in peace, John Malon. I mean, he's Australian. They look like they party hard. Yeah. They do. They throw down on the most inhospitable like bit of earth on the planet <laughs> which i definitely would have said you know paul hogan's 40 and and malon is 60 so, yeah because yeah. he seemed like he's playing a mentor character to him yeah, like totally a, a generation older it's always interesting when you like see the movie and the lead is this age and then the their father figure or their mother figure is like literally like five years older than them well, but they you, look like they're 20 years older you definitely get marcus brody vibes from Walt in this movie, <laughs> like from Indiana Jones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. What about um? I can, as always, Mike. I, w- I would say, don't worry about rambling because if you bore me, I'll, I'll just chop it out. Okay. <laughs> but um, I'll, so I'll ramble now and say the dude Terry Silver from Karate Kid Three, who's yeah. going to be in the new season of Cobra Kai. Super fucking excited. He's younger than Ralph Macchio. What the fuck? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Said, no. said that, say, He's six months that younger. Say that again. The guy who played Terry Silver, like the, the villain of Karate the villain Kid of Karate Kid Three, not Mike Barnes. Oh, the one with the, the ponytail back hair. Yeah. yeah, the the evil industrialist. Six months. The guy who was in who fought in Vietnam with John Kreese <laughs> yeah. is six months younger than Ralph Macchio. That's insane. He looks young in Karate Kid Three, insane. but not six months. But Ralph Macho <laughs> is like well known for But Macho was like thir- and he was thirty when they were doing part three, but so was That's insanity that guy. <laughs> to me. That's absolutely mine. You've just bottled my mind. Yeah, that's crazy. Can I say bottled one quick right thing? Up. Say it. Uh, so you had talked about Linda Kozlowski and yeah. how they got married after this film uh, or like He was married at the time, which makes it problematic. He was married Whoops. at the time. 
And, and I think he left his wife for mm-hmm. Linda Cosley. I remember that being like a. It was a big deal. Yeah, I remember that being like a, a tabloid thing. Because he was like Ooh. a global star. Yeah, yeah. At that time. Um, yeah, it's fucked up. Not to. Never mind. Now, we'll get to it real soon. I have yeah, more notes. They have like mad chemistry, though. In this oh, yeah, dude. I, see it. I mean, you can't argue with that. Um, starring also Mark Blom as Richard. Yeah, he's he's, he's a guy you love to hate in the 80s movies He still is working, does a lot of yeah. TV shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to mention, small part, but Reginald Vell Johnson. Oh, yeah, as man. Gus. The great Reginald Vell Johnson. That had to be like his first like big starring film, right? Or he was he, in Ghostbusters. Is like the pri- is the is the prison guard Ghostbusters? The mayor wants to see you. Oh, okay. Reginald getting it done. That's amazing to me. Yeah. How awesome is it that like he was just on screen and then everyone's like, God, that guy. Remember He's the got it. Remember the gu- the guard in Ghostbusters? Give me that guy. Well, I just think of like imagine saying even if your parts were small, saying I was in Ghostbusters and Crocodile Dundee and Die Hard. That, like, well, I'm pretty like sure he awesome. says. I'm pretty sure it's. Family Matters, I'm sure, paid him more than anything. I'm pretty sure he says I was in Die Hard, though. <laughs> but, think you know, imagine just having that resume. Yeah. Like, even, I think of this dude from Karate Kid, the guy who played Freddy Fernandez. Yeah. It's like just his neighbor in the apartment yeah. building, the one mm-hmm. who invites him to the beach party. Mm-hmm. He was also played the dude who brought, like, the the room service out to Taggart and Rosewood in Beverly Hills Cop. And it's like, imagine saying, I, yeah, I, I was that. in Karate Kid and Beverly Hills Cop sure. in back-to-back years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the two of the biggest movies of the of their year and you of know, the whole decade. And you know that's like, awesome. You know those movies are popular because of me, right? You know that, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Definitely. You know, definitely got laid off that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Reginald Val Johnson, awesome, dude. Um, and yeah. then David, we should mention David Gopillil as Neville. Yes, uh, yes. his buddy yeah. turns up when they're in the Outback. Yeah. Um, who was like a famous dancer. He's a famous like choreographer and, and he's got tribal moves dancer. in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. awesome. He stuff. was the Australian John Travolta. <laughs> yes, that's awesome. Uh, so I guess there is a movie. Uh, more to At talk long about. Long last, we kick it off. But yeah, yeah. before we get started, I yeah, mean, man. that's kind of like the awesome thing about talking about movies is you get to go into like you love these movies so much uh, that yeah. you want to just like do a deep dive into everything that ever happened to anybody that was in, involved in the movie, right? It's so interesting, as I've learned from doing this podcast, like how, especially in the action movie world, how incestuous it all is. Like oh, the same, sure. oh, the dude who did the music for Roadhouse yeah. also did the music for Lethal Weapon and for Die Hard, and like the same stunt coordinator and the same, like the same dudes just turn up over and over and over oh, again. Absolutely. Yeah, especially back then when it was like a much smaller It was like community. a tight knit little oh, community. Yeah. yeah. But I guess with all that in mind, we'll talk about an, another movie we watched once upon a time. But before we do that. Oh, ha, ha. That's monsters. That? that work for you? That's Australian a, for beer. Well, now the can says Australia's famous beer brand. <laughs> just doesn't have, does, Australia's famous beer brand. I don't see those commercials range. for Fosters much anymore. No. I, I don't I recall, I, but they they still are making that big-ass can, though, Foster's man. Fosters is American and for it, Australian beer. So where'd you get that? Did you get that at Publix, or did you get that at a it was five at, and dime down the street? It was at my Kroger, $2 gotcha. a can. Nice. Uh, for, uh, for the 25 in a quarter ounce can or some shit. It's 750 milliliters. Of 5% alcohol by volume. It'll get you there. So it is just barely alcoholic beer. Uh, you know. <laughs> so without any further ado, I love the old Paramount screen kicking this movie off. It takes me right back. Mm. I love that shit. So we immediately get a downtown Manhattan skyline at night. We twin see towers. the Twin Towers. Yeah, prominent. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, it's amazing how much of a character the Twin Towers were in movies of this yeah, time. Dude. Yeah, Think that, about that, that new, the, the new the King Kong, the 70s King Kong. Didn't he climb one of the Twin yeah, Towers, not the, the Empire State Building? Yeah, it, it definitely adds like a legitimacy to a movie when you see it. It's like, oh, okay. This they're is, there. They're, like, they're, yeah, they don't have that in Toronto or yeah, whatever. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, this is New York, all right. Yeah, so we see bustling street outside the offices of Newsday, it's um, a real newspaper. Yeah, it is. That's, it was that was a little strange to me. Yeah, I don't know that. It was like a they yeah. covered like Long Island news primarily. They're still in print. I was about to say they must have paid that Bono money from over the top <laughs> to be the <laughs> sponsor. So you're me they were just like we don't feel like buying like a new sign for. I don't know. Like, we'll just pay somebody. We don't want to be the New York. Well, like why? Sun yeah, Post why they weren't the New York Herald Daily. or whatever? The, yeah. Yeah, no one Daily knows. Planet. Exactly. I was about to say, it reminds me of the Daily Planet. Side. I wish this should have taken place in a DC universe. Oh, so we hear a conversation uh, on a phone call. A man, Richard, is trying to persuade Sue to come back home. He says, he's not. Com- I'm not complaining about your work. It's terrific. But you were due back in New York. Like, okay, fine. Um, <laughs> Sue, who's in Sydney, Australia, says there's one more story she has to do. She recounts... Um, Wait, Linda... She is beautiful. Uh, like she caught my eye. She, immediately. I told you. Mike was saying like you back in the day you weren't sold on her, but watching her more recently. You're well, like, wow. what I was saying is that I don't remember her beauty. Like yeah. I don't remember because I hadn't seen the movie in so long, and I remember looking at today and just her beauty like really sticking out. Like yeah, like, she's gorgeous, man. I'll talk I, a lot about it. When, <laughs> when, when, I, was, like, when I was fixated on when her. When I was watching this movie the first time I saw her, I was like, that woman is Kevin's type. So oh, yeah? all of our listeners out there, if you've got a sister <laughs> that looks like 28 years old Linda Kozlowski, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, send her our way. What about her her room, her hotel room? That like the view? Yeah, right of the harbor and the it's bridge. The opera house bridge. and the bridge, the bridge that uh, Paul Hogan worked on. Yeah. So what story amazing. was she working on? That's what I want to know. She just like she's like doing lots of stories, and now she's in Australia. She just like Long, checks in every couple of days. There doing a story. The people out on Long Island are really like hyped up for stories Australian about Australia. Stories, exactly. yes. I don't know. I, I actually kind of buy that. Unless um, it's like some kind of global I think she's trade. just spending that money. She's spending the newspaper money to That's take right. a vacation. That's probably why they're yeah. Yeah, she That's says, why he's like, get your ass back to New York. Because yeah. why are you spending all this money? Because he <laughs> exactly. was throwing money around like, yeah, all nilly willy. So she tells this guy, Richard, that she's there to find this dude from the Northern Territory who was attacked by a croc. What was she wearing in this scene? It's like a... It's like a huge print shirt with like old TVs and radios. I caught her and leg though with her leg peeked out. <laughs> I dig her shirt, whatever she's wearing. Yeah, it was nice. Her fashion in this movie was like well, that's what I'm saying. On trend More now. So, she think. she looks amazing, but she also sometimes looks like fucking Greta Garbo inexplicably with her like head wraps and yeah. yeah there, and there's things. that one. Yeah, the one scene where she like is like, screw you, I'm gonna walk. On by myself, and then she oh, has yeah. like on this giant like hat. She looks like, like girls who are like influencers. Her hat. hat and mosquito net yeah. scarf will get there. Yeah. Yeah. She, she looks like, like she looks like an influencer. Like, right now. Exactly, That's what I'm saying. Exactly like she'd she be on like. point on on Instagram. That's exactly today. what she looks like. Yeah. So um, apparently, the guy that she's looking for had his leg bit bitten off, and a week later crawled out of the bush 
got patched up and then disappeared. No pictures, no interviews. No one, you know, knows where the guy is. Richard on the other line, on the other end of the phone, is like not impressed. So she tells him, "I've tracked him down. He runs a safari company out in a tiny town called Walkabout Creek, and his name is, get this, Michael J. Fox. No, Crocodile <laughs> Dundee." Richard is like, uh, even wait, can we leave already? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was. I don't know if you've been listening, but there's a a rule that. John has that once the title of the film is said within the film, sure. then you can You're walk free to out leave. if you Got want it. to. You should, you should get an immediate refund, too. It's like if they say it in the first like five minutes, it's like, oh, well, I can leave now. Did you see early drafts of this movie were titled Buffalo Jones. He's going to be <laughs> Buffalo either. Jones, not Crocodile Dundee. I read an interview with the guy Shady, the writer. I like that. Buffalo, Buffalo Jones? Jones? That would have been too much like Indiana Jones. That's though. true. Buffalo Jones. Would and why not water Buffalo Jones? Like, I think if you're in Australia, that's just a Buffalo. Sure, yeah. 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 So, yeah, Richard on the other end is skeptical. He says, even if it's true, it's going to take you weeks to find the guy. But she's like, I've already made all the arrangements, so mm-hmm. go fuck yourself. Richard's like, fine. He's like, I really miss you, darling. So it's yeah. clear that there's some like romantic entanglement happening. Or at least there. he is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, <laughs> he is. Foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> he tells her to be careful. She says, "Don't worry, I'm a New Yorker." That really, that line right there kind of sets up the whole movie right there. Dude, I, I, yeah, definitely. It's an efficient bit of storytelling. Yeah, yeah like, totally. This ninety seconds or one minute sure. or something has like set the stage for. Everything you need to know. I yep. would imagine that this would be like the script that you would show in like a screenwriting, screenwriting class, class and be like, this is the way you write a script. For right? this yeah. movie that's like 90 minutes long or like barely over an hour and a half, like so much shit happens. Mm-hmm. This, But it also doesn't feel rushed. Oscar nominated, right? Yeah, nominated Oscar for best, nominated best, original original really, best original screenplay. And then, sure. and then you read and some it, reviews. I think it is. Yeah. And like the reviews were like, eh. No yeah, one really it was, liked it. Well, the critical it, reception. Rotten Tomatoes has got it's got a solid like an eighty eight percent, but a lot of critics were down on it. Notably Ebert. Yeah, Ebert was like, was like middle movie, of the road. He was like, it should have been. It feels like a Clark Gable Carol Lombard movie that never got made. Which it does have that feel <laughs> yeah. like the sassy New York reporter is yeah, going to go spooky. and meet like a rugged, sure. you know, it's like it happened one night type shit or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Or even um, like African Queen. Or yeah, something. yeah. How does how does Rotten Tomato work with films that were made before Rotten Tomato? That's a was, great question. And then they just go round up made. all the old. They just go look at all the old reviews and average out. Sure. The positive positives and negatives, like to yeah. give it a percentage. Yeah. Okay. Because it was all it was not new reviews. It's all the old shit yeah, that was yeah, written yeah. way back then. Which I appreciate that somebody went through and yeah. did like. Um, aggregated all the hard data. work for podcasters <laughs> for, like, for us. People <laughs> like us. So we cut to just some badass like. Natural photography of the outback. Mm-hmm. Fuck yeah. Killer music. Yeah, I was about to sing wow, the running wow. team. Yeah. So the helicopter, I love the shot. The opening shot of the helicopter, like zooming over, is badass during the title sequence. Sure. Um, yeah. The great, the theme music is awesome. Pervasive use of the tritone. The devil's interval, <laughs> interestingly <laughs> enough. Um, an, we did cut to an older gentleman. This is Wally. Nervously combing his hair as he waits beside. It looks like a little, like, El, like a short bed El Camino or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Was, that was kind of pimping, though. Like yeah, his I little like truck. I, I, I saw that truck and I thought, oh, John's going to like that yeah, she, I, vehicle. This is a, like a, it's like a bespoke thing. Like you said, like someone's rigged. It's like something yeah. out of Mad Max. So, I mean, yeah, like something the, that's just been slapped together. Yeah, all the. I feel like all the vehicles in this movie were yeah, like. Especially the safari truck. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah,
Yeah, the, the, the vehicle that he's in is marked Never Never Safari Tours. Helicopter comes in for landings, blowing dust and shit on this guy. Chickens are flying everywhere. Yeah. It's kind of awesome. There should have been, like, a, I don't know if it's in the credits, but no animals were harmed in the making of this movie. There should. That. I, I had that thought later on in the fishing scene. Oh, yeah. yeah. Maybe they were harmed. Man, I don't, well, we don't know. Barramundi. Um, so the older man approaches the helicopter. Sue's like walking towards him with her things. He introduces himself as Walter Riley of Never Never Safari, Never Never Safaris, and business partner of Crocodile Dundee. He um, loads all her bags in the back of his vehicle and helps her in. He apologizes that Mick's not there to meet her himself, but that he is in town somewhere. It's um, good, like. It's a good touch to sort of add that anticipation. Or I'll say this like, guy hold back, may, but you don't get to meet the title character right, right away. Yeah. Uh, so I got that he was kind of pissed, like because yeah. these two guys are in like a business together, and he's like, "Well, Mick should have been here, yeah. but he's he, not here." He plays, and he's like, "Oh, this is Mick again." Well, totally. Like, Walt is like the he's the business savvy guy, yeah. exactly, and and you know Dundee is the talent. Yeah, right? absolutely. <laughs> So he pulls up in front of the Walkabout Creek Hotel. There's a foster sign above the door. Cheers uh-huh. to all of our Aussie friends out there, or all of our American friends drinking what used to be an Aussie beer. Damn, it looked hot there. <laughs> yeah, it did. It looked arid. <laughs> uh, so they get out, and as she's having a look around, he welcomes her to town. It definitely not much to look at. It is barren. It's like a ghost town, yeah. yeah. He tells her he took the liberty of booking her in the hotel and then he confirms with her that she said that she's prepared to pay $2,500 for this exclusive story <laughs> with, with Mick J. Dundee. I did research on how much how much money is that. I don't know, like in 87? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Apparently. And in, uh, in Australian dollars. In Australian dollars, too, because they okay, have the um, Aust- English pound, right? Oh, I think they have Australian their own, dollars they have their own, their own unit currency. of money. Oh, they're, yeah. okay. So 2,500 Australian dollars is the same as about 6,000 Australian dollars today. Okay. Which is okay. about the same as 4,500 U.S. dollars. Sure, sure. Which And that's just for an interview and some pictures? And the, the, the excursion, yeah. right? Like, to, to guide her through. Because at this time, they, there was no reason for them to think that he was going to go to New York. So that's not a bad, for like two days worth of work. Yeah, that probably covers like money. the same as taking a, te- a group of people out on a safari or whatever. Yeah. Um, I wanted to jump back real quick because you had mentioned uh, like the helicopter shot uh, yeah, when they fly in. Um, I think that says a lot about the cinematographer for this movie because the, Australia, especially the outback of Australia, is notoriously known for having like nothing to see. Uh-huh. Right? And the fact that he made, he filled up the screen with like just beauty yeah is a is a testament to his skill yeah I, and there's a lot of it through this first half of the movie the australian half sure like, just yeah, beautiful you, scenery the, the first half of this movie is an australian tourism commercial they, they picked some great spots to film was it just me or like to me i thought walt seemed kind of nervous yeah he, in, the, in the thing like maybe they're on the brink of bankrupt you know like the company oh, yeah, whatever yeah. or just that they've got a lot of writing on this. Out they need the this interview of, to go well. Out in the middle of nowhere in the Northern Territory, even like the most ardent backpackers or adventure tourists. I mean, that's a hard place to go visit. Hard place to get to, I would imagine. Sure, yeah. If yeah. you don't have the money. So she says, she confirms I am willing to pay $2,500, but um, 
I expect to see where Dundee was attacked and to know how he survived. So we cut to later that night. Walt's taking Sue to the local watering hole. That bar is awesome, by the way. If not a little <laughs> overlit, it's a little it's a little light in there. Turn Every, the lights on. Everyone in that place looked like they needed a shower. There. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like every just like dust blown like grapes of so wrath. People, it's like you can almost smell it. You want to talk about great casting of extras? Yeah, I feel like sure. those had to be authentic like oh, people who lived out in that Definitely. area. Definitely, yeah. and, and I, I bet like Paul and. Paul Hogan and whoever else are like, I've got some buddies that would be yeah, great. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so Sue notices some some good blokes, to, <laughs> to use a, a Australian word, named Donk and Nugget, who mm-hmm. are great names, taking bets uh, on their little beer challenge. The littler guys punch Donk, who's holding a full beer glass over his head. Uh, they punch him in the stomach. Well, who can make him spill? Yeah, yeah. and Donk, Donk has apparently never spilt a drop. So I don't it's think a memorable gag. I don't yeah. think that that should count because Donk <laughs> holds the beer, right? Am I wrong? It, does doesn't uh, he hold the beer? Like I, if you put the beer on your head and you're like this and you get punched and you don't drop it, call. that is a great. But that'd be a holds better. the beer. I guess the thing is, maybe someone can maybe sort of double over or whatever. If he like gingerly is holding it by the handle, maybe. But I get your point to like if it would be better holding the beer. Man, missed opportunity. That would have been. That (laughs) actually would have been. But I agree. It's a movie, right? You can make that happen. Yeah, you can just have him not holding it and have somebody punch him in the stomach and they not drop a a beer. Definitely. It would add to the mythology of the film, you know? Yeah, I'm Definitely. with you. <laughs> Donk would have been a much more prominent character. As it is, he is not. So Sue asks Walt if Dundee partakes in these kinds of antics, but no, he's like, Walt's like, no, nah, he's more reserved. He's very <laughs> yeah, reserved. Right. Yeah. So Walt goes into telling Sue the legend of Crocodile Dundee. There he was doing a quiet spot of fishing when all of a sudden, bang! And apparently a giant crocodile came up, turned him over, bit half his leg off, and dragged him under. Dundee, of course, killed the crocodile. I mean, any normal man would have just turned up his toes and died. But not our Mick, no. <laughs> Hundreds of miles, snake-infested swamps. On his hands and knees, he crawled right into Catherine. And then the bartender, Ida, butts in straight past the hospital and into the first pub for a beer. <laughs> and, like, accused, like uh, accuses him of, like, Blowing the story up. He's like, yeah, that story gets better every time. It's like a tall tale. Yeah. So Walt looks deflated. Because, I mean, that's like, Walt is their commercial. Sure. You got to know something fishy is going on at this point. Like, something's not adding up about the story. It almost doesn't make sense that he would tell that tall tale. Because, obviously, the truth's going to come out That's what I got in, like, it's weird to be saying that shit when she's about to meet him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway. No one said Walt was a good businessman, just that he is the businessman. <laughs> He's a huckster, yeah. yeah. So at that moment, a knife comes whipping through the air and, like, slams right into the bar. Sue, like, jumps up scared. She's, like, startled. A commotion breaks out in the bar as a man comes through the door, and he's wrestling a crocodile. Everybody that's in there is, like, scattering around. Sue's freaked out, but it becomes apparent quickly that this crocodile is not alive. The man who stumbled in, like, picks it up and cozies up to the bar. It's like, two beers, one for me, one for me, Mike. And this is Michael J. Crocodile Dundee. Great introduction. Yeah, yeah it's one very of the, One of the classics, for sure. You got, like, the crocodile leather vest on, no shirt. It's it's one of the, I'm telling you, it's like, I, I remember this movie so well that I was, as I was watching this, it was like, no time had passed since the last time yeah. I'd seen it. I was like, I remember I same, every detail of this movie. And I bought it, and I hadn't probably seen it in 10 years. Mm-hmm. 
And as I'm watching it, it was all just flooding back the memories. Yeah. yeah. I can amazing. remember beat for beat what was going to happen yeah. next. It was awesome. He had that. I liked that he had that big, like, pimpin' feather in his hat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As well. Like, I don't know what kind of bird that's off of, but, man, that was sweet. So he immediately notices uh, Wally and Sue, pulls his knife out of the bar, croc under an arm, and moseys over. Um, he and Sue are immediately giving each other the long up and down. Like, both uh, of them are, like, looking at each other. Oh, yeah. well, I think she's like, where's your... Missing leg, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. That's what I got. Like, it, this looked, is... it looked sexy to me. Okay. <laughs> he, he was definitely giving her that. Oh, yeah. Hey, sure. you don't get many women of that quality probably in Walkabout Creek. Definitely well, not. You, you don't like Ida? Oh, shit. You know what, I will say that other bartender, the auxiliary bartender, was smoking. Auxiliary. <laughs> I want to be known as auxiliary bartender. Um, Dundee was, like, giving steady wisecracks, though. Oh, like, yeah, he was yeah. just a jokester, man. Yeah. So, like, music cranks up in the background. Uh, Mick grabs Sue, starts dancing with her. All of his friends are like hooting and hollering. Um, Which that's a little bit of obnoxious of him. Yeah, I agree. I think he's supposed to rub us wrong at first. A little bit at first. Like this dude's just grabbing this woman and dragging, like, you know, he's just sort of pushy guy. Right. And brash and loud. And The way I looked at it, I feel like, I don't think this is Mick on a regular Tuesday night, right? I think that he knows that they have like this big. Sydney reporter in town. Oh, good call. I think he's shit faced. He's trying to play the <laughs> character. I'm sure he is. It is an interesting drunk. point. He's not. He, well, well, we haven't seen him. Like, he does get sort of tipsy later on in the movie. I but don't remember him ever being like drunk in the film. He's not kind of drunk, good, drunk. Yeah. He was a little wobbly at one point. Yeah, it towards the end. But, but yeah. I, I think he's just making a big show. I think that's why he was late. I think he was like he came building in building the suspense. Yeah, I, I think he. That's why he threw the. The, um, knife in. I think that's why he came in wrestling the cross. So you don't think he does this every night? No, I think <laughs> he, I think every other night he just walks in the bar and is like, "Give me a beer," right? That's I think. a fucking astute observation, and it makes makes me yeah, like one hundred percent. I do, it, I'm not as bothered by him just like grabbing Sue to dance. I think he's just showing he's, her. He's like, playing. A, he's being um, a character. Yeah, he's playing, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, yeah, I think through the movie we will see he's I think trying to act the way that he thinks that the tourists will. It has stories to take home. Right. You know what sure. I mean? Like, which is actually kind of frustrating because yeah. he is the person that he really is. Well, then, and then you see him in New York where he's the fish out of water, and it's he's like a genuine, affable gentleman yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Loves him, yeah. yeah, and he doesn't have to try that hard. So Sue seems unamused by all this. Says she thought a crocodile had bitten half his leg off. Dundee says that that's a slight exaggeration, and rolls up his pants leg to show him show her a massive scar. Um, a love bite, and that what he calls it. And it was just a love bite or yeah. something. Yeah. Sue stares. Everyone. I mean, it's because it's a nasty looking scar. It is. Exchange a fleeting glance. I think it was enough to impress Sue. It's yeah. like, okay, at least there's some truth, yeah, like exactly. a, a grain of truth to this story. Right. I think that's the first time that he kind of like really shows him his true self. Yeah. Like he's like, no, this is the real me. Like this was, yeah, that story is exaggerated, but this is the real story. This is really me right here. This giant scar, and it, and that kind of comes out in threads throughout the whole film you know yeah she was into it i think there was like a little glance they go back to dancing and his charm seemed to be breaking through sue's smiling there's like right next to where they are there's this group of hunters who have not been amused by mick's uh-huh. antics um the ringleader who we know by his big glasses and cowboy hat like loudly accuses mick of being a croc poacher yeah. Um, Wait, I gotta say, the youngest dude in that crew is Brett Hogan, Paul's son. Oh, huh, no way, really? Who 
was I think older than Linda Kozlowski, what which is kind of a little creepy. Wow. That was like his yeah his his child from. I mean, he got married when he was like eighteen right, to his yeah, original right. wife or something. I think they had he a was kid born like thirty six at the so same time. Course. So I think he did have a child who was about thirty, and yeah, right. and and Kozlowski was maybe twenty eight or something. Yeah, like you did some think. research, dude. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's a well, little creepy when it's young, like I didn't know that that's my new. He's gonna cheat well, on my mom with this. I mean, they didn't know that at the point, right? She's your age, son. And the son's like, son's like, I want to fuck my stepmom. That's like some Bill and Ted. Exactly. Remember when Ted. I asked your mom to prom? Shut up, Ted. <laughs> Shut up, Ted. So, yeah, Sue is telling Dundee that she wants him to take her out to where he was attacked and give her the full story of how he survived. Just the two of us out there alone? Got my reputation to think about. So the ringleader. <laughs> I, like, dude, I love the fact that he's a jokester. He doesn't oh, yeah, take yeah. himself seriously. He's yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. Peter Pan. I love it. So the ringleader, like, reaches over the, of the douches that are sitting at the table. He uh-huh. like, slaps Mick on the butt and asks where a fella can shoot a few crocs. And Mick seems to, like he's like. He's hey, like, how he would I know? Shit for he brains. He doesn't like the, the croc poaching yeah. Wisecrack. So yeah, he calls the dude chip for brains. The guy gets up, takes his glass of glasses off. He's like, every man and his dog in the joint knows you're <laughs> nothing but a bloody crock poacher, which I still don't understand. Like, I guess that's just how rumors get started. Or maybe, do you think Mick maybe did have a shady past? Doesn't seem I likely. I mean, we know for sure he was maybe out there doing what, doing that very thing, right? Yeah. And there's a couple points. Well, he says where he was could- just fishing. But there's like <laughs> there's some gun shells all in his like boat. Baron Lundy's a big fish. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> a bloody big fish. Maybe Mick is a like a reformed poacher. Perhaps. What would you do? Like, is it the the skin? You sell the skin. Yeah, you sell the skin, the okay. bones, maybe the teeth, taxidermy, like, things like that. Yeah, sure. Put okay. it in your hat. He okay. does have a crocodile tooth hat. Anyway. <laughs> He's so, killed a croc before. Yeah, so We know uh, this. Dundee punches the shit out of that dude with one oh, epic punch. That punch was amazing. He's a, he's a, and he's a one-punch guy, too, right? He is. He is throughout like, the yeah. movie. Everybody he hits Just is like one punch, and they're like the out. That one yeah. hitter quitter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes right back to dancing with Sue. Um, the and r- nobody in the bar really is like... Well, the, upset reg- about the regulars it or- are like, "Get these fuckers out of here!" Yeah. Don't come back. Yeah, yeah. So they're like all, yeah, they're yeah, they're happy to see him go. Mick apologizes, but says he won't tolerate them using bad language in front of a lady. <laughs> clearly, clearly sensitive about the poaching accusations, which we'll we'll talk about later. I mean, I guess by definition, it is a crime. Yeah, totally, dude. The extras, man. That dude in the mesh T-shirt. Oh yeah. Did you, that guy catch your eye? Oh, that was I don't know. Nah, I don't know if he was that guy or not. There was just a dude who looked shit face drunk, who had like a mesh T-shirt on, and was just filthy looking. Like just, <laughs> they were all I mean, nasty they, looking. These dudes, they just, had to have been real. Do you think like a? Uh, I don't know who would be in charge of that. Like community bathing and walkabout. Well, I'm just like on the in the movie in general. Like, would that be costumes? Would that be costumes production? and makeup? Yeah. Did they just like slap a bunch of dirt on I these almost, guys? And, the dirt, yes. But I almost feel like the clothes almost just seem like that's just wear what you got. And they had, yeah. Maybe that was a yeah. Thing. They definitely we'll change came out you of up house if you need to. Clothes, right? There's a there's a a studio portrait of my younger brother and myself when we were one and two years old, where I am wearing a mesh tank top. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I, why anyone thought that that was the look for the for the portrait? Well, no I, so I mean, I think we all know like these characters are sort of like 
the Australian version of rednecks. Yeah. Kind of. And I wonder to myself, like, if if Australians find this movie offensive. I've wondered that. Like, if they're like, come on, the rest of the world, like, is this what you think? I mean, or it just, it spreads the image of, like, this is Australians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good question. But it's like cosmopolitan Australians are like they don't. I'm sure people, yeah, people in Sydney and Brisbane and Melbourne are like we're not like this at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's I feel a, the same when there's just characters from Georgia. Yeah, and it's like and they're dumb hicks or whatever, mm. or all racists yep. or whatever it is. Um, so anyway, so at that moment, Mick breaks away from the dance to go have a go at Donk in the beer challenge. He makes <laughs> like he's gonna punch him, but then just like sort of steps up gently and lays a big kiss on him. Donk flings the beer back and then just starts swinging away and like, like, trying to fucking kill him. The I feel cr- like not not really though, right? I, like, he's, was he just he, putting on a macho display? I, I, think, like that, that, I think that Donk was like trying to trying hit him. Trying to hit him? I, I like that first swing for sure, yeah. And I, pr- I don't think that it's the first time that Mick and Donk have fought, probably. They've probably been at it before. Okay. So the crowd's like, everyone's laughing. Uh, Donk, like, calms down pretty quickly when he gets a fresh beer. See, that's when that's when Dundee slid up to that bartender, like, the yeah, other yeah, one who yeah. had it going on and right. sort of was snuggling up with her. Yeah, yeah but again, I, I think it was all for show. The fact yeah. that he even had the idea to, like, best Donk on that particular night... Like, any yeah. other night, he wouldn't have cared, but right? I, I do think Dundee is, like, the life of the party, though, right? Oh, yeah, always. Yeah. He's, like, everyone's best friend or whatever. Have you ever known a Mick Dundee in real life? That one guy that just shows up and it's, like, electrifies yeah. the place? Yeah. I hate those yeah, guys. They, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I was about to say, they never have, like, good backstories, right? Yeah, they usually, like, <laughs> they're, yeah, they're not they've likable. Abused, like, yeah. They usually have abused their, uh, exactly. their charisma. <laughs> it's, it's a shame, but it's true. Yeah, there's always, like, a sad part of that yeah. story <laughs> so so walt is apologetic to sue about all this but she seems intrigued by what she's seen so we cut to i think she knows it's going to be a good article yeah like, she, uh, this story's going to this, gonna this guy's ass. a character this is my pulitzer so cut to the next day uh mick walt and sue are driving through this beautiful yet rugged landscape it, it is amazing senior they're bumping around in that like open-sided truck with the boat lashed to the roof yeah that thing um, is i like that was the thing when i saw it having not seen the movie in forever i'm like oh it's that fucking car like yeah, i could have yeah. drawn that from memory i think yeah and, th- and then th- th- like this whole scene is some shit that's like coming up like the the with the water buffalo some stuff that i still do today like with the little anyway so while they're writing uh-huh. sue says she hopes that mick isn't reluctant to talk about himself and he's like nah it's my favorite subject so <laughs> I love she, she asks where crocodile the crocodile nickname came from and he's like that was walt's idea because it's good for tourism um she asks how old he is but dundee says he doesn't know she doesn't believe him but walt explains that uh, mick was raised among the local aboriginal tribe um, and that they don't really keep track of things like that. That one of the elders told him, you know, when asked, that hey, you were born in the summertime, and that's all we know. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. And this, it's at this point that we should probably discuss uh, a little bit of um, preferred nomenclature. Yeah, I would say, like, we don't really have a grasp of Australian politics or, like, what's politically correct in Australia. Off the top, we'll say that. Right. Um, so if we say something that's wrong, like, please chalk it up to that and feel free to contact us and let us right. know. If, uh, you know, email or social media or whatever. But, um, yeah, like any time we, we're going to make reference occasionally to Aboriginal people in the course of discussing the movie. And I've done research on the subject to try to educate myself. So please there, forgive me if any research is incorrect. There's a massive movement in Australia, which I wish that the United States would follow suit, you know, and yeah. emulate yeah. called the Reconciliation Movement. 
and it's a, I mean, it's a government program. And the nomenclature that the reconciliation program uses is Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. So right. I think Aboriginal is like the best that you can get to from like a government accepted, yeah. you know, thing. I so. mean, from what I gather, it is a lot like Native American people here in the U.S. Like right. there's not a it's a complex issue and there's not a like firm consensus. Yeah. And that and that most of those people would rather be called by the 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 language that they speak because they speak so many different tribal languages. It makes sense, right? Because, like, sure. people aren't a monolith. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't right. just say everyone agrees on this thing. <laughs> and then for, from my viewpoint, I, I distinctly remember when America made the transition from being... Because I'm black, guys. <laughs> what? <laughs> the transition from being black to being African-American. And, and now black is the preferred. And yeah, term now again, yeah. Right? So I remember when like my white friends would call me African American. How weird that sounded to mm-hmm. me. Like uh-huh. I never thought of myself. What that feels way. normal now? I'm black. I've always just been like a black guy, you know. And I've never. I, honestly, I feel weird if somebody calls me African. It feels too proper, you know. Sure. Uh, so, but that's me. So it's. It's what Kevin's saying. We're definitely not trying to be uh, disrespectful or offend anybody when we say what we say. Obviously, what you want to be called is your right. Right, sure. But it's not our intention to offend. Totally. So this movie uses the outdated term of Aborigine. Right. um, Which is, yeah, out of favor with the community now. With good reason. Like, I read a great quote where those people from that group say we didn't give ourselves that name, you know, so that's why it's offensive. Like, and, and a lot of those same people feel the same way about Aboriginal and Torres Islands, there's Torres yeah, Strait, Strait Island Islanders. people, because it's like, those aren't words that we used before white people came here and told us that's what we were, you know, so I totally um, get it. Yeah. So it's, so having said that, it is a little weird that, cause I feel like Paul Hogan is somebody who's truly in love with Australia and, yeah. and totally uh-huh. has respect for his country. So I can't imagine that he would intentionally be disrespectful to. Well, I think that was just, that was the word. Like, yeah, that was yeah. just the word. The same way that you But could've... obviously there had to have been another word that they were calling themselves. I don't and they know. Just didn't... I think like if you went to the 1950s, like everyone would talk about Indian or Indians yeah, in sure. America. And, and even people maybe who loved the culture and loved Native American people, but that was just the word. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I don't I don't know. It seems like in a perfect world, yeah, like we'll call you what you want to be called. Um, for the purposes of this podcast, I think we'll we'll use the generic yeah, we'll like use Aboriginal the mo- people. The most widely accepted term that we could um, find was Aboriginal. With no malice. But as Mike says, I get the vibe from the movie that Paul Hogan and the other filmmakers were trying Especially with the Aboriginal yeah, people, like, well, that they're that very respectful. With sure. the Aboriginal people in Australia, and then when the character is transplanted to the U.S. with his dealings with black people, is mm-hmm. he seems open and sure, yeah, yeah. I think he's really reverent of uh, like in in the context of the movie. Supposedly, that's the community that Crocodile Dundee yeah, grew he was up raised in. by. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know. So anyway, yeah. Side so track. that. But yeah, back to the film, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, but it's an important. No, yeah, it's it totally important. is. It's totally is. Sure. Because it comes up a few times in this movie, and it's worth explaining. So then Sue asks Mick if there's a Mrs. Crocodile Dundee, and he says, I, I, love it. I was sort of married once. 
nice girl, good cook, big, and then makes big. a big tracts of land sort of deal. But he's like, then I, I, went, then I went on walkabout, and when I got back, she was gone. She's lost on the word walkabout, which Walt explains means to wander around to discover new places, which is a charitable definition, which I think is the accurate definition, but not in Mick's case, because Mick was <laughs> gone for 18 months, apparently. I like that moment where, like, Sue sort of sarcastically is like, oh, she didn't stick around. Strange. Yeah, Mick's the, like, yeah. <laughs> and the way Wally said it, I was wondering, was, like, not his daughter, but was, it like, his oh, interesting. niece? Or he kind of said it in, like, yeah, you're a little dick for doing what you did. Yeah, you get the feeling that uh, yeah. Walt has been around for all of this stuff and sort of had to, like, Surrogate watch. father type? Yeah, exactly. Oh, sorry, is for, it Walt or Wally? Both. It's all of okay, the above. interchangeable. Walt you call him whatever Wally, you Walt. You call him whatever Walt. you want to call him. Yeah. As Mick turns his attention back to the road, he breaks suddenly. And this is the moment that I, I still to this day when trying to like get something to go my way will, will like make the hand gesture mm, in this. You make the noise. <laughs> so there's a water buffalo standing in the middle of the road. Mick honks the horn. It's not moving. So he gets out of the truck and approaches it. Sue starts snapping pictures. And Mig seems to like do this weird hand gesture thing and like mesmerizing. He's like humming and it just plops down in the middle of the road. (laughs) And she's amazed. I don't really see how that's any better for them than having it standing in the middle of the road. Okay, I'm going to drive around it now. I don't it's know. It's like a cool trick, but it doesn't actually accomplish anything. Well, then, then something I don't understand. So, Walt, Wally. Walter uh-huh. calls it, he calls it, mine never matter, an old Bushman's trick. And then he makes this face as though he's like annoyed with Mick or something. Uh. I don't even know, like, is he mad that he showed off his superpower or is he mad that, like, what's the deal with that face? I, I was wondering that all day. I was like, I don't understand. Like, why I didn't is he even sort catch of that look. Yeah. He makes this, he makes, it's, it's sort of like um, if Superman had done something and your friend who's trying to keep the fact that it's you're Superman secret. from people. Ah. And he's like, he's like, oh yeah, it's just a no. But he's, he's like, just using he, his heat really, to like heat up a hot pocket yeah, or something. Like, he's like, really, Superman, god damn it. Yeah, and he's like, fuck. So it's sort huh. of the vibe that I got from from Wally there. Apparently they had that water buffalo like all doped up. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> Can you imagine That's like a wild? Sad. <laughs> <laughs> you know they got that from the Australian zoo. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Sydney Zoo. So yeah, we cut to some more beautiful nature photography um, of a boat out on the lake. Mm-hmm. The tree are cruising along in a, in a shallow lake in a John boat. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's like big lily pads and flowers and things. They filmed all this stuff at this is Cockadoo National Park in Australia. Right. Huge, huge place, awesome. Yeah, we talked about it on Road Warrior. Like, I just I want to get to Australia. I want to spend three tour. weeks there. No, it, it definitely makes me want to travel there for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's so cool. And they they did a good job of. Showing because every time I think of Australia, I think of like all the animals that will kill you, right? Like yeah. the snakes and stuff. <laughs> but they did a good job of not really showing that, right? I mean, sure. they showed the there's a crocodiles and there's a snake, but I think like the running joke is literally every animal there can kill you. And Australia, I didn't really get Australia that. has evolved to cause harm to human beings, <laughs> um, which makes you wonder why we decided to make a colony there. But uh, anyway. It's because there are precious metals there, you guys. That's why. Of course. <laughs> um, so while they're riding in the boat, Mick points out a crocodile on a bank. Sue's, like, freaked out, and she, like, jumps. Then there's this dissolve effect, and we see the boat pulling up to a shore. They're unloading their gear from the boat. Um, Walt tells Sue 
that he's going to be back to pick them up at their destination in a couple of days. Sue was looking good. <laughs> I love. I, I do love this thing where, where, where as Mick is walking by Walt, he got like grabs his arm, and looks at his watch, uh-huh. and then like kind of like looking up in the sun, like he's like, "It's about two twenty. Better get a move on." I love that shit. That's what I'm saying. Like he pulls that shit. I think just to put on a show for Sue. Yeah, no, like for her benefit. So just it'll be good for her art. It's going to be good for know? the art. But you know what's so frustrating is that. There are scenes like that where he looks at Walt's watch and he's like, right. oh, it's 220, right? But then there's a scene like 10 seconds later where he actually does some mystical, magical shit. He right? does have it like that. So he's he, got it like that. I wouldn't be surprised if he really could look at the sun and tell you that it's 220. But maybe not to the minute. And, and maybe I he would was, not be surprised. Maybe he was feeling lazy at that moment. He was just like, I don't have time to put the stick in the ground and do the sundial thing. Uh-huh. Um, I do love, I love that Sue's amazed Walt plays right along at a little bit of, like, a brilliant bit of self-promotion. He's like, <laughs> Mick's the best Bushman in the territory and the best pupil I ever had. <laughs> Attaboy. Walt's amazing. Yeah, yeah, so Mick and Sue set off into the wilderness. Walt calls out, until Wednesday. And then Mick, what's today, Walt? Monday. And he's like, uh, nods. What a life that Dundee has. I, well, I love the writing from Walt at that moment is... Like, it's the truth that we should all ascribe to, and that is, in in regard to uh, Mick not knowing what day it is, doesn't know, doesn't care, lucky bastard. Yeah, yeah it's like, fuck yeah, that's yeah. that would be the thing. I don't. It doesn't doesn't matter what day it is. That's when you hit the sweet spot of a vacation is when you lose what track the track of what day of the week yeah. it is. It's, it's kind of what like, the pandemic was, right? <laughs> for sure, weekends kind of lost all yeah, meaning. Exactly. Like, there yeah. was definitely a point during the pandemic. I was like, what day is it? I don't know who I am anymore. Uh, um, my question is, why did Walt have to go out there with him? To bring the boat back? I think he had to take the boat back. Is that what it was? I okay. guess so. I don't know. But that's the, I mean, yeah, you're right. He, he's, it really I think he's just there right. And to take the truck back. And also, uh, I think yeah, to, like, uh, to, um, to maybe set the lady reporter at ease and not being out there with just a rando for the entire time. I don't know. Maybe uh, not. Yeah. She's probably used to that sort of thing. I guess so. But that seems like a great, that's a hefty first episode. Yeah. 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 We covered a lot of ground in we the We sure outback. did. <laughs> From one end of the territory to the other. Sure did. We hope you guys will uh, join us next time, including all of our friends at the Last of the Action Heroes Podcast Network. Oh, yeah. Hey, what's up, guys? We see you. All of our friends out in Australia. We love you. We're doing this one for you guys again after uh, we we hope we didn't botch Road Warrior too bad. And, uh, (laughs) And we'll be back. 